We're continuing in our series of messages in the letter of 2 Corinthians. I've titled the whole series, This Treasure in Jars of Clay, and Jars of Clay being us and the treasure being Jesus. Um, I grew up with a Christmas tradition that may sound odd to you. My parents didn't do the whole Santa or in Spain it's the Three Kings. Uh, they thought celebrating the arrival of God himself on this earth in human flesh was too significant a thing to muddy the waters with other things like that. Um, but uh, we had a Christmas tradition that might sound odd to you. When we were teens, my parents decided we'd do our gift giving at Christmas time in a special way. They would decide how much money they had to buy gifts. And then we would all sit down and we'd write each of our names. There were six of us, mom and dad and four of us kids. They would, we'd write each name on a piece of paper and we'd fold it up and we'd uh, draw a name. And whatever name you drew, unless it was yourself, was the person you were going to buy gifts for that Christmas. And they would take the money they had and divide it evenly in six parts. And that was the budget everybody had for buying Christmas gifts and this was meant I think to ensure equality that everybody got about the same uh, kind or uh, value of gift uh, but also it was uh, about uh, teaching us as kids the the joy of giving at Christmas I mean that's why we give gifts right Christmas isn't about getting gifts it's about God giving us the greatest gift of all by giving us himself and we emulate that generosity by giving gifts to one another at Christmas time. So uh, it was, my parents were trying to teach us some of that uh, sense of generosity and of love and serving one another. And that's really two things that Paul is talking about a lot in today's text, love and equality. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 24, and I've titled the message, Love and Equality in God's Kingdom. So let's jump right in. I do not speak as giving a commandment, but to also put to the test through the diligence of others the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who being rich for you became poor, so that you in that poverty might become rich. And in this I give an opinion, this is better for you, who have begun from a year ago not only to do it, but also to want to do it. So now also complete it. So that just as there was a readiness to want to, so also will there be a completion according to your means. For if there is a willingness, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So Paul uh, begins these verses by saying, I'm not giving a commandment. Uh, so we, we probably need to back up to last week as we were looking at the verses immediately before this and see what uh, Paul is talking about because he's been sharing with them the example of the churches in Macedonia, how from a position of affliction, severe, being under a severe test of affliction, not only that, out of a position of profound poverty. Uh, he, he describes them in this terrible situation, and yet there was this abundance of joy. And it, even though they were lacking so many things, he says they were begging us 
to let them participate in this offering that we are gathering to take to the churches in Jerusalem. And they gave not according to their means, they gave beyond their means. Beyond their power, uh, their ability, they gave beyond what they had. And he talks about how they, first they gave themselves to God, and by God's will, it's, it is that they gave themselves to us. So he's sharing this example, and, and the topic here in these chapters is this offering he is gathering to help the believers in the church in Jerusalem. Because things are heating up in Jerusalem, we are in, in less than 10 years from all-out revolution and revolt against the Roman Empire, uh, so attitudes are more and more extreme and Christians are being pressured on every side and of course following Christ they really aren't buying into all of this earthly uh, struggles and fights and trying to establish kingdoms on their own. Uh, so uh, they're uh, likely being uh, treated poorly by those who are very zealous about their Jewish heritage and uh, very interested in casting off Rome and they're not buying into this revolution and because of that they're they are suffering uh, lack. Uh, their businesses are probably not doing well and they're not given the opportunities to employment that others might be given. So the people in Jerusalem are going through a, a difficult moment and they are suffering lack at this time. And Paul is noticed in the Gentile churches in Asia Minor, Macedonia, and Greece, or Achaia. He's, he's noticed that the, the people here have a lot of money. Uh, Ephesus, he's been there for two and a half years and has just now left. Uh, extremely wealthy uh, city. And Corinth, which he's going to next, is also a very, very wealthy city. And the Christians there are people of means. So Paul has this uh, thought, you know what, this would be a great opportunity for the churches in the Gentile area, in the nations that are not Jewish, to give from their abundance and supply a real need that the believers in Jerusalem have. Now why would Paul want to do that? Well one is they have a need and here's a way to supply it, that's part of it. But another part of it is that Paul knows that there's hostility between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. Uh, he's experienced it in his own ministry. People coming from Jerusalem behind him to the churches he's planted and tried to tell them uh, that they need to follow the law of Moses and they need to go under the old covenant of Moses rather than the new covenant in Jesus Christ. So uh, he's faced that kind of opposition and he's faced the opposition of the Jews who reject Jesus in the cities where he's been preaching the gospel and they are persecuting his churches, the Jewish non-believing people in all all of these cities so he knows there's this hostility and he really believes it's important that that wound be healed so Paul is gathering this offering to try to heal this divide inside the church and to show to the believers in Jerusalem that the the Gentile churches because of the work Christ is doing in their hearts and lives love them and uh, are and are not uh, hostile toward them but but are actually willing to serve their need so he's doing all of this gathering this offering and uh, he tells them that I'm not giving you some kind of a commandment um, 
Paul doesn't claim the option to uh, just issue new commandments. He's not like a new Moses. Uh, God's not giving him new laws to hand out to the people. Uh, he says, this isn't some commandment I'm giving you by telling you about the Macedonian churches and their participation in this offering and by inviting you to participate in this offering. I'm not, I'm not issuing some kind of a commandment. But I am putting your love to the test. I'm putting the genuineness of your love to the test. And the way I'm doing that is by telling you about the diligence of other believers. So I've told you the example of the churches in Macedonia because I want this to stimulate you to evaluate where you are in terms of how genuine your love in Christ is. And here's something that makes us probably uncomfortable. We don't like to think of it that way. Uh, we want to be very individualistic about our faith and it's my faith and whatever I'm doing with God is up to me and God and nobody else has any say in the matter. But Paul envisions a different approach to the Christian life where our lives are intertwined in such a way that what I'm doing is affecting you and what you're doing is affecting me. And I may think I'm doing great. I may think I'm uh, wonderful in all that I do until I notice somebody next to me, sorry, who is evidencing a deeper love than mine. I may think I'm being really generous and then I find out that the churches in Macedonia, they are in extreme poverty, abysmal poverty, and they are begging to not be cut out from participating and giving to this offering. Now, if, if you're a wealthy Christian in Corinth and you hear that story, it makes you reevaluate your whole sense of just how generous am I? Just how much do I love other people? I thought I was pretty good, but all of a sudden I realized, man, what God's done among these other believers puts my piety to shame. Paul is not uh, hesitant to point out these things because he believes that's the way God is working in our lives. And when he's doing something amazing in one life, uh, he means by that to challenge the rest around. Sometimes when we're in our Christian walk and we are next to a person who is much more committed to Christ than we are, who is much more passionate about being fully sold out to what Christ is calling us to, it makes us uncomfortable. Because we can tell ourselves we're doing great until we see somebody that's uh, obviously operating on a different level and suddenly it exposes my own apathy. It exposes the falsehood of my claim to love Christ. Paul says, I'm not issuing commandments. I'm just letting you be exposed to the diligence of others and for that to put the genuineness of your love to the test. Do you love Christ? Do you love the people Christ has told you to love? And that's not the only comparison he draws. Well, let's 
forget the Macedonian believers for a moment. How about Jesus? How do you compare to the attitude of Jesus? You know the grace our Lord Jesus Christ gave to you. He was rich, but for you, he became poor. He's talking about the incarnation, God Almighty, the sovereign over everything that exists, who was uh, abiding in, in perfect power, absolute power, and had all authority and all power and all knowledge and all wisdom and was even not just everywhere in creation, but even beyond creation itself, who exists in and of himself and is not even dependent on the universe to exist. That God submitted himself to incarnation. And suddenly the God who was everywhere could only be where that body was. Suddenly the God who knew everything had to learn to talk and to walk and had to grow in wisdom and relational maturity, grace with God and with people. Suddenly uh, he limited himself tremendously and not even just the very bare fact of, of coming into, into our world as a human being with all the limitations that implied. Not only that was him emptying himself of all this wealth he had. But uh, he didn't even come as the, the most privileged among us. He wasn't born into the household of Caesar and Rome to be the wealthiest and most influential human being on the face of the earth. He was born to a simple carpenter and lived his life on the, on the, the fringes of any kind of political or military power. So he, he had everything and gave it all up for your sake because you were poor, because you needed what he had. His abundance was what you needed, and he gave it all up. Christ's wealth, he surrendered it to give to us from his abundance. Christ shared with us what we lacked and what he had in spades. We were uh, wrapped up in the consequences of our choice to sin, to turn away from God, reject life eternal, reject holiness and purity and perfection and uh, nobility and, and virtue, all these things that God had created us for. We surrendered when we uh, chose sin instead, and we became destitute. We became absolutely poor. Unable to be anything near the glorious creatures God created us to be. And Christ came to share from his abundance into our poverty. So that we might become rich. So that we might share in what he had to give us. Holiness, virtue. Love, life, abundant and eternal. All these things that we had lost, he came to give to us and he gave it from what he had to give. That's the point Paul is trying to make about this offering. All I'm asking you to do is to give from what you have to give. 
and to enrich others from the abundance of what you have, the way Christ himself enriched you from the abundance of what he had. And Paul says, let me just give you my opinion on the matter. This is better for you. Sometimes you might think, I, it's not better for me. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want my faith, the genuineness of my love to be put to the test. I don't want to be made uncomfortable. I want to be comfortable. Paul says, listen to me, you're better off this way. You see, the reason God is poking at you and prodding you is that he wants more for you. Sometimes we get irritated at other believers who are challenging us and pushing us because we don't want to hear it. Paul says, stop complaining about it. It's for your good. It's for your benefit that God is prodding and pushing and calling you. Don't be annoyed by it. God doesn't want you to settle for less. So it's better for you. And he, he describes what's been going on for a year now. You've already been working on this. Not only doing it. Not only setting aside money for this offering. But also developing within yourselves the desire to want to participate in this offering. So now he said all you've got to do now is just finish what you started. Complete it. So just as there was a readiness to want to initially. There will also be the completion of that readiness according to your means. If there's a willingness, and clearly this is a voluntary offering, but if you are willing to participate, it's acceptable. God will be pleased with what you give according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Now, there are at least two ways this can be understood, and I think, perhaps not surprisingly, the most popular way to understand it is the most comfortable way. Right? Some people read this to mean... Uh, you give according to your means. So if you have a lot, you give. If you don't have a lot, you don't. Right? If you have a lot of money, you give. If you don't have a lot of money, don't give. Now, that might be what Paul is saying if it weren't for the fact that he's just talked about the Macedonians who from a position of abysmal poverty begged to not be cut out from participating in this offering. Now, why would God... Why would Paul give them that example and then turn around and say just the opposite? I don't think that's the right way to read this. Uh, and, and often people will excuse the, the, the tepid level of love they have for others and the self-serving attitude they have towards life by just saying, oh, I just don't have the means. That's not what Paul's talking about. What he means is, that God evaluates each of us, not based on what we don't have, but based on what we have. Not based on what he has not entrusted to us, but based on what he has entrusted to us. A great example of this, and it's also an example of, of Jesus teaching about giving financially. When Jesus, I talked about this last week, when Jesus was at the offering place in the temple there in Jerusalem and he was observing people coming and giving their offerings and the wealthy were coming and they were throwing in large amounts of money and making sure everybody noticed just how generous they were being and all the money uh, it was set up in such a way that it would make noise going down and uh, making a, a big show of how much they were giving to God and then a widow showed up and she dropped in 
two mites. The mite was the smallest denomination of currency minted at the time. If you look at uh, photos or, or people make replicas of them, it's like half the size of a penny. Really worthless. Very small amount. She drops in two of those. And Jesus had something to say about all that. He said, you know what? You know who gave the most here? That widow. Now these other guys were giving a lot of money, but they were giving from their abundance. They were giving from what they had left over. But this widow gave everything she had. It wasn't much. But what little she had, she gave to God. And that was actually two things. It was an act of devotion, showing God, God, I want to honor you, and if this is all I have to give, I will give what I have to give, but God, I want to honor you. But it was also an act of trust. God, this isn't enough to even feed me today, and I'm just going to give you what I have, and I will rely on you, God, to take care of what I need. I trust you, God, to supply what I need. So when we talk about giving according to our means, we're not saying that there's a percentage we're supposed to give uh, or share. What we're saying is God is only interested in what you're doing with what you have. Don't think about what you don't have. Now, if you are an extremely wealthy person and you want to give God the two mites, God is not going to receive that the same way he received it from that widow. You understand? Because it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. That widow didn't have large amounts of money to give. She gave what she had. And the principle here is that God is so working in our lives together that we are challenging one another as, as any one of us surrenders to Christ and moves a little deeper in our walk with him. It becomes a reminder and a challenge to those around us who are still pulling back. And sometimes uh, I'm the one holding back and somebody next to me puts my faith to shame. And that is a good thing for me. It prods me. It pulls me. It draws me deeper. And it awakens me from complacency. And I have to remember that uh, what I have to be giving in, in what God's calling me into is what he's put in my hands to give. Each of us has different things that we can give. Are you giving what God has put in your hands to give. How is God using others to challenge you to grow in love? And how are you reacting to this challenge? Let's keep reading verse 13. I do not mean that there should be relief for others, affliction for you, but I am coming from equality. At the present time, your abundance will go into what is lacking to them, so that also their abundance may go into what you are lacking, so that there might be equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. 
an objection might, might be here. Okay, so what you're describing is as we mature in Christ, as we grow in our walk with him and surrender more and more to his call, to genuine love of those around us, then we will give what we have and we will sacrificially pour out our lives and our time and our relationships and our hearts and our money. We will put everything we have to meet the needs of those around us while the people in Christ who are not mature, who are not uh, on, on this uh, level of, of surrender or commitment to Christ, just sit there and soak it all up. And there's going to be this terrible imbalance, right? So I'm going to give, give, give till there's nothing left. And these people over here are just getting fat off of what I'm getting. They're just taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. Is that what you're suggesting, Paul? Is that how the Christian life should play out? That there should be relief for other people and only affliction for you? Paul says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm coming from a position of equality. This is what I am suggesting, that God is interested in there being equality among his people. And he describes what he means by that. At the present time, right now, your abundance will go into what is lacking to them. The people in Jerusalem right now are strapped for money. They don't have enough money to meet the needs that they have right now. You guys have too much. You have more than enough. I've told you, I was in Corinth this past spring, and I remember walking through the ruins there, and there's this inscription on the ground there from Erastus. And in the inscription, he is uh, saying, I, Erastus, uh, I'm the guy who built this road that connects the theater to the rest of the city. Erastus was one of the members of the church in Corinth. He was the city treasurer for the city of Corinth. Uh, so there were people in Corinth who had a lot of money. And Paul is saying, right now, you have an abundance of money. They have a lack of money. So your abundance is going to meet what they are lacking. But that's not where it ends. Their abundance will then be activated to go into what you are lacking. And you might think, well, what are they lacking? Paul says that the church in Corinth has been gifted in every way. God has distributed lavishly spiritual gifts in the church in Corinth. They are wealthy. They have all this knowledge and all this money and all this stuff. What do they need? They don't need anything. They're in the position of givers. I think, and I think in Romans, which is the next letter Paul writes, I think he, he, he lays this out a little more clearly. I think Paul envisioned that this offering not only would heal this divide within the Christian church at large, but that it would open the floodgates because here's, here's something that the church in Jerusalem had that the church in Corinth didn't. The church in Jerusalem was filled with believers who had, from the time they were children, been memorizing the scriptures. 
Their knowledge of the Word of God, the revealed scriptures of God, the history of Israel, and the significance of the Christ and His coming, their knowledge of that was light years beyond anybody in Corinth. They had a wealth to share. And Paul, I think, envisions this is what he's really hoping will happen with this offering. They give what they have to give. Right now, that's money. And then that will motivate the Jerusalem church to stop staying holed up in Jerusalem and for them to respond in kind and come back and give us what they have that we need. We don't know the scriptures the way they do. We need to know about this heritage. This story that we have come into by faith in Christ stretches back to the dawn of creation. It's a long story of God's work in the earth and with humanity. And we just, we're just latecomers to this whole thing. And the Jewish people in Jerusalem understood that story and had so much to share with their Gentile brothers and sisters. Paul says, this is what God wants to do. You give them what you have, money, and God will use them to give you what you don't have. This understanding. So that there might be equality. And he uses uh, an odd little note from Exodus chapter 16 verse 18. And Exodus tells of the story of how God brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And they were in the wilderness where there's no uh, shops and there's no food. And the people complained that they had nothing to eat and God gave them manna. This miraculous thing, it would cover the ground in the morning, they would gather it up and they could make bread type things and uh, cakes and that kind of thing and, and they were able to eat while they were in this unpopulated area. And they're told, they're instructed in Exodus, this is what God's provided for you. Go out, gather it up, and then you'll have it to eat. And then we're told in Exodus that people went out and some people gathered a whole bunch and some people only gathered a little bit. And then this is the comment in verse 18. The one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Somehow in the miraculous providence of God, those who had gathered a lot didn't have too much. And those who had only gathered a little had all they needed. They didn't have too little. Paul says, that's what I think God is trying to do in the broader kingdom of God, in the broader scope of the many congregations that make up his church worldwide. That he supplies an abundance of one thing here and an abundance of another thing here and of abundance of something else here. And what we do is we share the abundance we have to share with those around us to meet the need they have and in return they share with us the abundance they have to share. I've talked about us uh, doing a mission trip and I think oftentimes in this country uh, people get mission trips wrong. Uh, we, we follow this old 
colonialist model of mission work where we uh, go to another country, go to some third world setting where there's a lot of poverty and hunger and we bring toys for the children and toothbrushes and medical uh, things and we uh, help them dig a well so they have water and we maybe help them build a school or a church and we, from our abundance, we share all of this and we get there with the attitude that we are the ones who are in the position of giver and they are the ones who are in the position of receiver. That's not equality. That's superiority. Paul says that's not the way God works. You see, you have a lot of one thing. Give what God's given you to give. But when you're giving, pay attention to what they have a lot of that you don't. I think oftentimes we find that Christians in these third world settings have experienced their faith being put to the test in ways we can't even begin to imagine. They have a lot to teach us about faith and trust in God. They have maybe discovered through the lack of distractions and the things that come with financial abundance, they have perhaps discovered a depth in their prayer life, their life of seeking the face of God that puts ours to shame. They have much to teach us if we'll just listen. And every time these things happen, they're meant to be reciprocal. There is not a single participant in the kingdom of God who has not been given an abundance of something to give back. And every time we give, we need to open ourselves to receive and accept the humility that comes with recognizing these are the things I have a lot of, but you have a lot of that, and I, I don't have that. I'm reminded, last mission trip we went on, uh, in, uh, I'm forgetting right now if we were in Valladolid or Merida, but going out with this pastor who had multiple congregations, they're little bitty house churches, I mean, handful of people, but he, would, he worked full time, but in his free time in the evenings, he would go to all these different houses and they would sit down and sing hymns together from memory. I don't know how. He obviously been with them long enough for them to memorize the songs. Nobody was paying him a cent to do any of this. And he was there. And such humility, such a like, like he was just doing the, what he had to do. And hoping he was doing a good job of it. And I was put to shame by his love of God and his people, his willingness to give himself to them. He had much to teach me. I have a PhD in New Testament studies. I have a lot to share from what, the abundance of what God has given me, but he had stuff to share with me that I know nothing about. That is equality in God's kingdom. This isn't some communist ideal where we take everybody's stuff and put it in a pile and eradicate private property and distribute everything evenly to everyone. That's not what Paul means by equality. 
What Paul means by equality is that God distributes everything necessary among his people and he so works in our lives and hearts that we are constantly giving to each other what he's put in our hands and in that sense, everybody has everything they need when we all surrender to this, to giving and receiving from each other. In God's kingdom, there aren't just, there aren't givers and receivers. We're all both. That's how equality works out in God's kingdom. How have you experienced the give and take in God's kingdom that ensures everyone has all they need? Verse 16. But thanks be to God who put the same diligence for you in the heart of Titus because he accepted the exhortation, but being very diligent by his own initiative, he is coming to you. Now we are sending with... Him, the brother who is given praise in the gospel by all the congregations. And not only that, but he has also been elected by the congregations as our fellow traveler with this gift of grace which we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Doing this lest anyone should blame us regarding this abundant gift which we are serving up. For we are sending him along at the same time seeking what is praiseworthy not only before the Lord but also before humans. And with them, we are sending our brother, whose diligence in many matters we have put to the test often. And now he is even more diligent because of the great confidence he has in you. As to Titus, he is my partner and a fellow laborer among you. As to our brothers, they are envoys of the congregations, the glory of Christ. So show them in the sight of the congregations the proof of your love and of our boasting about you. Basically what Paul's doing in these verses is telling them what their travel plans are. And here's what's going on. Paul is still in Macedonia. He's writing this letter. Titus has just returned from Corinth with a painful letter he had to write. And uh, they, the church has responded well and addressed the issue in that letter. And Titus has returned to Macedonia and is with Paul and his companions. And now Paul is going to finish this letter and send Titus to Corinth ahead of him to deliver the letter and to prepare the church so that by the time he gets there they can have finished gathering this offering and then Paul will get on a boat and go to Jerusalem and deliver the offering. That's the plan. Now uh, Paul lets them know that uh, Titus is, God has done a work in Titus's heart. He thanks God for God putting in Titus that same diligence, that same passion for the Corinthian church that Paul himself had. And Titus wasn't one of the original founding people when, when Paul was in Corinth starting the church. But because of what's happened recently, God has put in Titus's heart the same level of passion for the Corinthian church that Paul himself feels and he's thankful to God for that he says you know we exhorted him we encouraged him we challenged him uh, would you be willing to go back and deliver this letter and he says he's very diligent in fact he himself is volunteering to go back to you uh, he's more than ready to come back that's wonderful and then he talks about two people that are going to be traveling with Titus to go to Corinth and to prepare them for when Paul arrives to finish gathering that offering and he doesn't mention either of them by name. He only mentions them by describing them. 
so we have no idea. People speculate, but there's no point. Uh, there's no way to know who these were. They're just two great Christian uh, people. Uh, what do we know about the first one? Well, uh, he says he is given praise in the gospel. So his participation in the good news of Jesus Christ is such that people praise him for uh, the way he has uh, lived this gospel life. And it's not just one church that thinks he's great. All the congregations in the area have the same appraisal of him. He is, he is an outstanding person. And not only that, but the whole, all the congregations got together and they elected him. They chose him. They set him apart to be their official, official representative and to travel with Paul for the delivery of this offering. This gift of grace, which Paul says we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Paul says this offering... Uh, it has two purposes. One is to demonstrate the glorious love of Christ that he has placed in our hearts. Why else would people do things like this? But God, God has brought glory when we surrender to what he's calling us to. And there's another thing, to show our goodwill. I've told you, there was a lot of bad blood between Jewish and Gentile Christians. A lot of uh, hostility and a lot of... Uh, uh, a, a, a kind of a competitiveness perhaps uh, and Paul says this offering is going to demonstrate to the church in Jerusalem that all these Gentile churches uh, that they don't buy into this rivalry they don't buy into this hostility all they have for the believers in Jerusalem is goodwill so it's going to demonstrate something about God and something about the Gentile churches and he says, they're sending this guy lest anyone should blame us regarding this abundant gift. So apparently at this point, uh, already Paul can describe the offering as an abundant gift. I suspect that's probably not so much because of what has happened in Macedonia, but I suspect Paul began the offering in Ephesus before he left, and there were very wealthy people in Ephesus. And probably there's, there's already a significant amount of, in the gift. Uh, we are serving it up. He uses the verb... Uh, the verbal form of deacon. Uh, we are serving this up. And um, what we're after here is not fame, but uh, we are trying to uphold what is worthy of praise, what is noble, what is good. We're, we're doing this because, is, because it is a good thing to do, not only before God, but also before other people. Other humans who are observing. That's the first one of the two. The second one, he says, uh, is somebody whose diligence in many matters we have put to the test often. So this is a guy who has been called to do work that required diligence. And he's been put to the test many times and in many contexts. And this guy has not dropped the ball. He has remained faithful and demonstrated that he's a guy you can count on. He is reliable. And uh, in fact, his diligence, uh, it's like an overdrive now because we have talked to him about this amazing church in Corinth and he can't wait to get to you and see what God's doing among you. He's very excited to get there. I want you to think for a moment because this journey 
is likely going to take them maybe a year before they can make it back. These churches aren't only sharing what little money they had. They are sending their best leaders. That's the level of, of love they're demonstrating. They're not saying, let's keep our best leaders for ourselves. No, we want to send the best we have to offer because we want the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem to know that we love them and we want to give them the best of what we have. And we will do without these leaders for a year if we have to while they go and deliver this offering and they will represent us well to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Paul kind of summarizes his thoughts. If anybody has any issues with Titus, let me tell you who he is. He is my partner. So if you have some kind of issue with Titus, you have an issue with me. We're together in this. We are doing this together. Not only that, he is your fellow laborer. He has been in the trenches with you just recently and has been serving alongside you. He's one of you now. That's who Titus is. As to these other two brothers... They are envoys from the congregations to you. That word I've translated envoys in the Greek is apostles. Which to us the word apostle has become kind of like the word deacon. It no longer means what it meant. It's a strictly religious term. But uh, back then apostle simply meant envoy. Somebody sent in representation of. Uh, these have been sent by the congregations to represent them before you. So receive them accordingly. And he calls on them to prove this love that Paul's been bragging about. Paul has been bragging about them, boasting that God has filled this church with a love for fellow believers. And he says, now is your chance because all the congregations are watching. Now is your chance to prove your love. Receive them in a way that demonstrates your love. I love that Paul is never shy about this, about saying, okay, this is, this is what God has done in our lives. This is what he has a right to expect from us. And he calls on us to say, live up to that. Don't give me excuses. Prove your love. Don't just talk about it. I love that Paul confronts us that way. And I think we need to learn to live our lives in the same manner, not in a pharisaical, finger-wagging way, but in a, in a challenge of saying, don't settle. Let's press forward into this. How have you experienced the greater work of Christ through collaboration with other churches in his kingdom work. God challenges us to go deeper in his love. We can settle for less, but God ensures that in his church there are people who are prodding us, reminding us of the call to participate with him in the kingdom work of love. Just when we think we're doing pretty well, we see someone whose depth of loving commitment to Christ puts us to shame. This is good for us. As God draws us ever deeper into his love through these proddings, 
He means to motivate us all to give generously from what we have, financially and in every way. And to use our giving to each other as a means to ensure that we are all fully supplied in everything we need for living. We partner together in this great work of Christ. And we challenge one another to continue to grow faithfully in Him. We're going to sing a song right now. And this is our time to respond to what God has been telling us in His Word. Uh, today, uh, it's a little uh, different. We have a lot of people out today, so uh, I'm not going to have people here at the front, but we are going to open the altar. And I want to invite you during this time as this song is being sung, uh, come forward, kneel at the altar, and talk to Christ about what he's been saying to you in his word today. Surrender to what he's calling you to. Let's all stand. Please come while we sing.